Our second lesson comes from Jeremiah 28, verses 5 through 9. The prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord fulfill the words that you have prophesied and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. But listen now to this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes true, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent that prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your presence in the Holy Spirit this morning. Thank you that we as a church body get to come together to worship, to sing your praise, to hear and receive your word, to get to come to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask this morning that you would truly speak to us, God. I believe that you have a word for us as a people this morning. In this specific time, in this specific place, God, would you teach us how to truly walk with you in the ordinary time? Would you help us be aware and pay attention of how you are moving in spite of the busyness and the crazinesses all around us? God, would you teach us as a people to follow you in our everyday, mundane, and ordinary lives? In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, all. My name is Chris. I'm pastoral resident here at Christ the King. My wife, Shelby, and I and our daughter, Edith, she just, she's about to turn two. I've been here since about... February. And when we got here in February, I was an absolute novice. When I mean novice, I mean I didn't know anything at all about the liturgical calendar. So we showed up on the first Sunday of Lent. Actually, Shelby came alone a couple days earlier and went to an Ash Wednesday service, and I think it was at the noon, and she was one of like five folks here. That night, there was a huge turnout, and funny, we've talked about that night, but Shelby comes to an Ash Wednesday service by herself and is like, what the heck are we about to get into? But the Lord, for many reasons, has been really clearly leading us toward this place of being a part of this church, me being part of part-time staff, but us as really a family coming to be formed as people for generations and generations have been by what God is doing in the connected historical sacramental church. And so part of learning this this Anglicanism thing is learning about the the seasons. So we came in in Lent, and I told this story last time. I think it's a little willing to go in just a little bit deeper because of how funny it's been. It started shaping my imagination around ordinary time. So I love the word hallelujah. I have it tattooed, actually, and one of my practices in worship is to raise my hands. And so, but in the Anglican tradition, you don't say hallelujah in the Lenten Lenten liturgy. And so Josh Matthews, actually, we were joking right when I first came on, and he was like, well, if you really wanted to be a good Anglican, you would put a trash bag around your arm and tape it for the whole time of Lent. (laughs) As just a way to practice the fast. Because hallelujah really was like, it's like a daily word usage for me. And so I came right into a season, a high point on the liturgical calendar, where I had to practice fasting and saying this word. And so when, hallelujah, when Easter season came, I was hallelujahs all over the place, right? It was such an amazing time. And I've been a Christian for 15 years. I love Easter. I love worship. But it hit really differently this year for me. And in a similar way, just a couple of months ago, we started Ordinary Time, which Ashley keeps referring to as the great green growing season. And so because I've been blissfully unaware of the liturgical calendar in my life, it's been really sweet the last couple of weeks to feel the real challenge and press in from the Holy Spirit of his invitation for me to go deeper with him in this ordinary time. Y'all, I think the reality of our lives is that they are mostly ordinary. They are mostly mundane. 
They're generally not that spectacular, at least not in the way we're expecting them to be, right? And it's so easy for us, and I'm going to assume this of all of us, and we're going to get into it a little bit later, that you, like me, just usually want the next thing. We sometimes live from high to high. If only I could get to that next big event, that next big season. When I finally get there, I'm going to be okay. And we do that in a way that's really easy to miss out on what God is doing today, right now. And then eventually when we get to that season, we're just so ready for that thing to change, for us to get to that place that we've been waiting on. And when we get there, we experience another really human thing, the letdown. The disappointment that the thing we've been waiting on, the thing we've been wanting to get to, isn't actually that great. And so while I'm a pastoral resident here part-time, my other job um, I work with in retail and helping brands um, succeed in big retailers. And so I'm an account manager by title, but really at the heart of my job, I'm a data analyst. So I am a liberal arts guy. I have a political science degree and a theology degree. Numbers are not actually my thing, but the last three years of being in the retail space, they've been kind of my whole world. And so as I've started to think about the ordinary time and put some data pieces together, it's really helped impress upon me the importance of figuring out how in the heck to follow Jesus in this ordinary time with our human tendency to want to skip out on today, with our human tendency of just wanting to look ahead to get to the next thing. So in ordinary time, on average, it takes up 231 days of each calendar year, with the other 134 days being Easter, Advent, Lent, and so on. And so if I was to live another 45 years, to the ripe age of 75, then 17,000 days of my life would be spent in ordinary time. 63% of my life is spent in this calendar season of the great green growing season, the ordinary time. And I think if we're not careful as we move through this season, we could spend 63% of our lives missing out on what God is doing today because we are so ready for what is next. And so let us just be super clear and on the same page of how incredibly important it is that we as a people start to figure out how to walk with Jesus every day and not just wanting the next thing because we'll get there and we'll be let down and we'll feel the disappointment. Over the last few weeks as a church, we've been focusing on the prophets. Ashley kicked off this season by preaching on Genesis 1. This is about a month, five weeks ago, as a reminder of the human vocation to work with God in creation. And as humans in a broken world, that vocation is continually disrupted. We need reminders often. Lord, you know how much we need reminders of a vocation, who we are. We need to be realigned to God's heart and to his mission. And so one of the huge roles of the prophets in Israel was to call the people of God to alignment with God's heart and with his mission. Last week, Ashley focused in on Jeremiah's partnership with God and proclaiming a message that he knew was from God— but the people of God wanted absolutely nothing to do with. She mentioned some of the prophetic symbolic actions that Jeremiah took, and one of them was actually to place, he built and then placed a physical wooden yoke, like the one that an oxen would wear as it's tilling the fields. He put it on his shoulders and wandered around the streets of Israel saying, this is the yoke that you will be under in Babylon. But that message came along with a promise from God that if you were to come underneath this yoke, God actually has something really good planned for you. It's hard to think about, 
if I was to look with a guy who has a yoke on it and says, hey, if you come under this yoke, if you come under something like this, you'll have a good time in store. Rightfully so, they didn't want anything to do with that. And so this week, we actually pick up in the story, in the season that Jeremiah is physically wearing that yoke that Ashley spoke to you last week. So just before a text from this morning, in Jeremiah 27, the people are told by God through Jeremiah that they could be under this yoke, they will be under this yoke and the rule of Babylon. There is absolutely no option for them. It will happen. In one way or another, they will experience Babylon taking over Israel so that they will live in exile. But God says through Jeremiah that if the people submit, if they submit to what God is doing, then they will actually live. In Jeremiah 27, there is a promise to the people that even though they'll be in exile, and while I think it's important for us to realize that is a horrific and scary thing, it's easy in the 21st century to stand up here and be like, yeah, well, if you're in exile, God has something good for you, so come on, people of Israel. But let's just be on the same page. I would want nothing to do with being in exile, to be away from my family, to be away from my friends, to leave my home, to be under oppression from a, from a dictator, from a different government. That is not an easy thing to hear. And so while it is horrific and scary, God promises his people that he has something for them. And in Jeremiah 27, Jeremiah says, do not listen to the prophet who tells you you don't need to be under the rule of Babylon. God is saying you're going to be under the rule and it's going to be good. And so our text today, we actually read the response from Jeremiah to a prophet named Haniah. And Hananiah was telling the people of God that God would break the yoke of oppression they were going to be under. So Hananiah rolls in and he's doing the exact opposite thing that Jeremiah and therefore God said not to do. This is what he was telling the people. This is verses 2 and 3 in chapter 28. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon took away from this place and carried to Babylon. And regardless of the actual truth of this message, this is exactly what the people of God wanted to hear. They did not want to hear Jeremiah or anyone else tell them that they would be in exile. Even if God did have a good plan for them, that is not what they wanted. And they didn't want to be taken away from their homes, their families. They wanted peace. They wanted what Hananiah was telling them. And so we actually see in verses 5 through 9 that we read together, Jeremiah's response to Hananiah's prophecy of peace, his false prophecy of peace. He responds with graciousness and wisdom. He literally says, amen, may it be so. He is a hopeful, non-exile, prophetic guy. He wants it to happen. Because although Hananiah's promise of peace for this season, for Israel, is wrong because it was contrary to what the Lord had already said, it's not like his, his message was unlike or contrary to the nature of God. So hear me on this. God wants peace. God wants good things for his people. God wants his people to flourish. And so as I read this text, as I hear the words of Hananiah, and as he promises peace and the end of exile and oppression, I feel tempted to be totally with him. Heck yeah, of course. I want the end. That sounds so good. And it's not unlike the nature of the God of Israel, Yahweh, that I know. He has broken the chains of oppression in the past. He has broken the bondage that the people of Israel have felt. So I want that same thing. However, what's jarring about this passage, what gets me over and over again, is Jeremiah's response. Because it seems like he wants that too. 
Amen, may it be so. Yes, I want that. But Jeremiah has been paying attention and listening to what the Holy Spirit of God has been speaking to him, unlike Hananiah and the people of God. And God had something better for his people. God had something better that promised them a future and a hope. And they were tempted to believe a false promise of peace in the short term, even though God had already said, I've got something better for you. And so while it might actually be outside of the realm of conventional and cultural wisdom, the better for them means they'll be in exile because it will actually result in them aligning with God's heart, his purpose and his mission, his kindness towards them. It will be more purposeful and deep and good, even though it seems so, so opposite from what they think should happen. And I think if I'm continuing on this thread of honesty, and as I look at Israel's response in this story, I really do want to fall into the temptation of believing in short-term peace, regardless of what God has already said. Because it is so easy for us to read these texts, like I just said a moment ago, and go, okay, Israel, here it is again. Didn't y'all just do this like three, three years ago? Didn't y'all just have the same problem 10 years ago? And then I'm looking around and thinking my reality of, oh, I just had this happen to me five minutes ago, and here I am complaining again. And so may we feel the weight of Israel's temptation this morning to believe in a short-term vision of peace, because when it really comes down to it, we want to hear what we want to hear from a message like Jeremiah's or Hananiah's. We do it every single day, whether it is the things of God Maybe it's an issue in life that we so desperately want to see differently on that the church does or that God does or that we know to be true. Maybe it's in our work lives or our family lives. We hear what we want to hear as a people. And so as I've been reflecting on this propensity of human beings to do just that, to hear what we want to hear, I think there are a couple things we can outline together this morning that would make that pretty clear for us moving forward. First off, we often hear what we want to hear because we want the easy way out of something. For the Israelites, the reason they ended up listening to Hananiah over Jeremiah was because they wanted the end of exile immediately. They didn't want to wait for God to fulfill whatever plan he had for them. Regardless of the past provision that he had done for them, regardless of what they knew from him, they wanted the message they wanted to hear. They wanted freedom now. Later in the text in Jeremiah 28, Jeremiah actually confronts Hananiah. So this is two years after he makes the prophecy. And if you'd remember, in verses 2 and 3, Hananiah says, in two years, God will break this yoke. And so Jeremiah waits two years. Remember what he said? May it be so. May it be true. The hopeful non-exiler. He waits two years. That word does not come true. And so at the end of our text, he actually confronts Hananiah with the truth, the reality. And we know from that text that the people of God chose to believe Hananiah over Jeremiah. And because of that, they actually invited on themselves harsher punishment. So Jeremiah had this yoke, this wooden yoke that he wore behind him. And when Hananiah said that God would break that yoke in a dramatic display of only the dramatic kings would know how to do, he takes the yoke and he slams it down on the ground. He breaks it. In this big display of this is what God is going to do to the yoke, Jeremiah waits two years and then comes back and says, because you have broken that yoke of wooden, uh, the wooden oppression, you have, you have gained and earned a yoke of iron. Because we see a picture of a people 
who chose to miss out on the season that God had for them because they wanted the easy way out. They wanted something different than they knew that God was offering them. And I'm really not trying to say this morning that it's easy or that the easy way is always the wrong thing to do. And I think as people, we know that God has something better for us. So when we as a people know that God has something better for us and we get into a situation that is hard and painful, the temptation is that when we choose the easy way out, we choose to dismiss the work of God in the moment. We want an end to the pain. We want an end to the hard marriage or the relationship, to the sexual angst or the loneliness. We want an end to the things that we think are bad. We can convince ourselves so easily that what we need to do is actually good when in reality it could bring complete destruction on ourselves and the people around us because we want the easy way out. Is that the affair? Is it pornography? Is it cheating to get ahead of sc- in school for our students or our adults in grad school? Is it fudging that number on the report? So maybe you can just get it done really quick. Or maybe because you think if I make this a better story, I'm going to get a promotion faster. But God offers us something that is so much better when he allows us to walk with him and align our hearts with his mission. There is depth offered when we choose to press into listening to God in those moments instead of choosing the easy way out. And secondly, I think we tend to hear what we want to hear because we just want the next thing. This is what I was alluding to at the beginning of our time together. If 63% of our lives is made up of ordinary time, we as humans have a deep and driving tendency to just want the next thing. Maybe I think it's just discontent because at some point in our nature, we just get bored. We get tired of something. And so we convince ourselves that life is made up of high points, the seasons that are important, that are exciting. We want to get to the next thing, so I'm easily going to miss out on what's here. And so when we are placed in a situation of life that is hard, we choose to look forward. We focus on the holiday or the vacation or the job change or the birthday or the summer break or Lord knows the weekend. And if we do that, we sometimes miss out on full days or weeks or even months of our life and what God is doing right now within us. I love the fall. I love when the leaves change. I thought about how sappy do I get with this, Lord. I love football, crisp weather. I love Oktoberfests, am I right? I love the start of the NBA season and college basketball coming. My birthday is in the fall. It's cool too. Our wedding anniversary is in the fall. That's cool too. I love the fall and I'm so ready to get there. Even now, like this morning, I was sitting outside preparing for this and thinking like, Lord, I'd like to get to the fall. It'd be a lot nicer on my porch. But the problem is that when I get to the fall and that second or third week in October rolls around and the leaves start to change, my favorite part of the fall is the leaves. And in Fayetteville, God puts on a show every year, does he not? And so when those leaves start to change, what I find is that I actually all of a sudden get to a place where I'm so worried and anxious about the leaves falling off that I miss the whole thing. I cannot be the only one here that does that, right? Oh, did y'all see that red maple on Maple Street? It was sick. 
Did y'all see that incredible oak on Greg Street on North where, where Greg turns into North and it's just huge and wonderful. Right before that hill, it gets down to Mission. That is my favorite tree. And honest to God, I missed it completely two years ago because I was so worried about missing it that I missed it. My self-fulfilling prophecy. And I know that might be a silly example, but y'all, let's not take for granted that that's what we do every single day of our lives. And I don't want to miss out on what God is doing. My daughter is learning to talk. I don't want to miss out on that. I don't want to miss out on a really, really amazing glass of wine on the Hail Fellow patio at night. I don't want to miss that moment. I don't want to miss out on a conversation with a friend who actually can know somebody because I'm so worried about having to do that report later or I'm so worried about preaching on Sunday that I completely miss the conversation I had with a friend on Friday at Puritan. I don't want to miss out on what God is doing. And the human propensity of hearing what we want to hear to get to the next thing puts us in danger of that every single day. But hear me, church. The gift, the gift of the gospel of Jesus is that even though we might hear the thing we want to hear, we might want the easy way out. We might want to get to the next thing. The gospel and the glory of Jesus is that the offer for purpose and fullness is actually the most real in our every single day, mundane, ordinary moments. That's why ordinary time is 63% of our lives. It is the great green growing season because there's actually growth offered in the ordinary. So how do we get there together how do we get to the place where we want to know God in the everyday, in the mundane, in the ordinary? And I think it's reframing the concept of peace. So in our text, Hananiah actually speaks to peace, um, but both he and the people of God saw that peace that he spoke of, the, the end of oppression, as actually like the easy way out. He spoke of the peace as an end to the conflict. Peace for the people of God in this moment was actually the next season. And so what I would propose is that for both the Israelites and us, if we take a step back to reframe peace, then we might actually be able to hear a different message from the one that Hananiah preached, a better one, one that resembles the kingdom of God and might be more practical in our actual lives. So the word peace that Hananiah uses is the word shalom. Shalom is an incredibly important uh, concept in Scripture. It's spoken to 397 times throughout the story of Scripture from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And shalom is the ultimate lived reality of the fullness of the kingdom of God. The concept of shalom is the goal of creation. It is to be in perfect union with God and other humans and all that is around us. One scholar says that in the Old Testament, there's a diversity of meaning of shalom. So on one hand, it is the well-being or the, the ultimate state of well-being for creation. It's the way all things need to be. On the other hand, shalom is actually a way of living out the peace that God offers. So we know uh, that the world is broken. We know that it's shattered. We live in that. We live in the conflict every single day. But God, in his graciousness, even in the conflict, even in the mess, speaks to shalom. So in Jeremiah 29, 
right after this time of the people of God going in to exile, the prophet writes of Shalom. He says, I know the plans I have for you, declared the Lord. They are plans to prosper, to give you a future and a hope. Am I the only one that had that on a necklace hanging around my neck in ninth grade? No, I'm not. And it might be cliche and it might be kind of corny, but it is true. And here's what God is doing. He's taking this piece of Shalom. He's taking the promise that Hananiah gives that says peace is the absence of conflict. Peace is when you get out of whatever you're dealing with. And he's reframing it to say, no, shalom, peace of God is actually knowing and walking God within the mess, within the conflict, within the struggle. It's knowing and walking with God now. And the biblical narrative of shalom, it continues to its ultimate apex in Jesus Another scholar calls Jesus, he says he is a model shalom. He is the way of aligning our hearts with God and his mission in the midst of all of the mess. Because the hope of shalom for peace right now is not an absence of conflict. It is to be a people of peace and oneness with God in spite of that conflict. Shalom is the invitation to walk with God in the ordinary times in our ordinary lives. One of the images that has really helped me start to understand this is the line, peace like a river, from the song, It Is Well With My Soul. I know that maybe some of you actually have heard this analogy, but let me explain. When I imagine peace in my own life, and when it's something is, I'm really stressed about or something is hard, I imagine peace as that absence of conflict. I just need to wait to get out of this circumstance. I think of it as a deliverance. I think of peace as calm. And now while a river, if peace is like a river, while a river may be calm in some circumstances, it's often not. Rivers can be roaring sometimes, full of power and intensity. And so the helpful thought of the river's intensity is that no matter if it's roaring or it's calm, it is still a river. It's a river no less of how it's flowing, how it's working. And if peace in our lives is more like the concept of shalom that we're offered this morning, that means that the peace of God has to come to us in whatever circumstance we are, we are at right now. We cannot afford to wait on the absence of conflict, to know the peace and the shalom of God and praise the Lord, hallelujah, great news, church. We don't have to. The peace of God, the shalom of God meets us where we are. We can't wait for our circumstances to get better or to be perfect. When the tension is gone, when the confusion is lifted, when the brokenness is fixed, and we will find ourselves living lives of missing out on the ordinary time if we wait for those things to be over. And I think it's super important for me to say this morning that some of us are in absolute chaos. Now, some of us are in chaos because of our own decisions, because we wanted the easy way out or we wanted the next thing, and I want to give credence to that. But even more than that, I want to say this. I think some of us who are in chaos are in chaos because of no fault of our own. It's because life is hard. And it's messy. And other people make decisions upon our agency that forces us into a place where we cannot know the absence of peace or the absence of conflict. And so if that is you, Jesus sees you this morning. He knows you. And the invitation is to walk in shalom and to walk with him daily, no matter what you're feeling, no matter the chaos that you know and are experiencing. The invitation for us is to reframe the shalom of God 
to be more like a river. No matter the intensity or circumstances, may we know that truth. It's not easy. It's not if you try hard enough to know the goodness of God. It takes practice. And we're willing to do that together as a church to step into practicing and pushing forward to know that. The gospel of Jesus is offered in our ordinary and mundane and regular lives. I like to think of the people in the New Testament that were receiving uh, the words of the apostles for the first time. They had such different lives than us, but at the end of the day, they were still just human beings. But many of them were born into the same home that they would die in. And many of them lived in the same, under the same roof with all the generations of their families. They worked the job. Maybe they cared about it. Maybe they didn't. And when they received the gospel of Jesus, the truth that came to them through the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the truth that they could actually be redeemed from anything holding them back from God, and they could be filled with the Holy Spirit just in the same way that the prophets of old were. The beauty is that they could do it right where they were. And that same thing is true for us today. Now, while God might do something spectacular in our lives, and may it be done in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, the reality is most of our lives will be spent in the ordinary, and may we come to know Jesus in that. The last couple of months since I have, you know, turned Anglican, I started doing, uh, participating in the daily office. It's a series of prayers for morning and night and other times throughout the day that are based on the Book of Common Prayer. And Anglicans all over the world pray these prayers and read these scriptures together. And so I'm, I'm reading, I've been reading them every morning. At the very end of it, there's a general thanksgiving. And there's a super simple uh, just phrase of that prayer that has start capturing my heart, especially as God has pushed me and challenged me to start figuring out how in the heck to follow with him, follow him in ordinary life. It's this. May the Lord give us such awareness of your mercy because maybe more than anything else, what we need on a daily basis is awareness of his mercies so that when we are tempted to take the easy way out, which you totally can, that is offered to you, that is free to you. But when you are come to a place of wanting to take the easy way out, wanting to, to look at just the next thing, if we are aware of his mercies daily, we're that much more likely to choose to listen to God instead of the other thing. To listen to the message of Jeremiah instead of Hananiah. And may God in his goodness make us aware of his mercy and his love by the presence of the Holy Spirit today and tomorrow and next week and the next day and the next day and the next day. And Ashley says this all the time, and let me repeat this morning. We don't play around here. We're ready to follow Jesus. We long for Jesus. We want to know him every day. We want to hold out his word of life, his gospel to the communities around us. That's why we're here. And I'm so grateful you all, all are here as well. Let's pray. Jesus, may you have your way with us as a church. Thank you for your kindness towards us. Thank you for offering us shalom. In spite of the conflict, in spite of the mess, in spite of the chaos that is happening, happening around us, you are gracious and kind to us. So I pray for my brothers and sisters to say yes to your invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.